Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Every one of those athletes bought into the idea that my life is going to be 10 times better after I win. And it wasn't. It's the same. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast, folks. Hope you're doing well. First, let me start with my sincerest apologies on not releasing two episodes last week. I was on the road Tuesday and Thursday shooting interviews for the Smith documentary. So I was busy. But we're coming back this week hot. We have Catherine Shea. She's a six-time national team member for the women's wrestling team here in the United States. She's also the founder of LuchaFit. That's L-U-C-H-A-F-I-T dot com. An excellent resource for wrestling and for nutrition. Hope you enjoyed this interview with Kat. I know I did. Fan of the week goes to my man, Mark Underwood, coming in hot with the review on Apple. Great job. Love the Kenny Cherto episode. Brought back many great memories. Mark, thank you so much for leaving that review. And for anyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It helps push this podcast up to other wrestling aficionados. Last but not least, folks, if you want to stay up to date with the podcast, please go to Wrestling Changed My Life on Instagram. I post clips of the videos uh, from the interviews. You can go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com, and you can visit our online store, store store.WrestlingChangeMyLife.com, to shop merchandise. That's it, folks. Let's give it up. Shay. Peace! Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Indeed. So I appreciate you dealing with my reschedule here, but we're ready to do this. I wanted to start with the fact that your dad was a two-time Olympian, uh, 1956-1960, and I was reading some of the stuff he wrote back then. He was really at the forefront of Mm -hmm. some sports performance research. Talk about uh, just the impact of of your father. I know he's no longer with us, but talk about the impact of your father growing up and and some of the things he taught you um, about the mental component of the game and and some of the research he did. Yeah. um, So, you know, as good, good intro of him, uh, 56 and 60 Olympics and uh, one of the few to do freestyle and Greco freestyle for his first Olympics. His second Olympics was Greco because he actually had a, um, uh, a, so he was Oregon guy. And um, a, when he was logging with his brother, a tree literally fell on him. And my uncle was like, I thought he was dead. Like, <laughs> uh, so he broke his femur and 
he was already training Greco. And then um, as like Olympic trials was approaching and all those different competitions were approaching, it was kind of like, well, I can only train Greco now because I'm like in this cast. And so he just trained Greco. Uh, as, as legend goes, he cut the cast off and went and won Olympic trials. So <laughs> let's just start, you know, let's start with like the mental fortitude because I would say the biggest, one of his biggest legacies honestly was his ability to move forward no matter what and I think that was a huge lesson that I learned from him and um it was really like his he embodied it in every way like he was not a um a wild coach in the corner at all like he he was very neutral he absorbed what was what was present and what happened and he moved forward so like before the word mindfulness was a thing like that's what my dad truly embodied um and I like you know, not to get too, you know, too emotional right now, but like literally all, all the way up until the day of his death, he embodied that just like working through pain, working through like using the breath. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm assuming maybe you saw the article that I posted about him that he wrote about, um, like, uh, elasticity, like yes. about how we can, um, yeah. So that was something that he wrote and he would just write, he wrote, write all the time, prolific reader, and so he wrote about, you know, our, our ability to continue to learn and be elastic instead of us being, you know, we're rigid, we're this one way. And um, so he was just really, you're spot on there, like at the forefront of all those, all those um, mental aspects of, of human consciousness and athlete consciousness, I kind of like to say, I guess, um, that we're just now like stumbling on. Mm -hmm. And I think that that went alongside of his ability to see the need to grow women's wrestling because he just, for him, it was second nature. Like, okay, the women need a place to wrestle. So I'm going to provide that. And he was a huge pioneer for women's wrestling in California and women's wrestling in the U.S. as we know it today. And so he would write some of the things you post just because that was what he was interested in. And mm -hmm. that's what he researched. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I posted was written years and years before. And I think I posted it somewhere within the last three years. He passed in 2012. Um, and it was just something he had already written. I have a lot more. I haven't been able to dive into it. My mom has a lot too. So in the future, uh, I definitely plan on posting more of his writing because it's just incredible that his, his, the way he thought about wrestling was incredible. And it's taken me a lot of years to really start to understand his love for the sport and why he continued to like push uh push the understanding of like how to interpret it and you know how an athlete can interpret it so it's it's exciting to kind of um pull from some of what he's done in the past and i also think people from that generation they're just much more elegant writers than we are you know they're just they're just much crisp crisper you know they're not sending emojis and so it was it was cool to read something that you know is a little bit older and mm -hmm. you know having people involved with wrestling that are, that take that Zen approach, kind of like the, the Zen monk approach to wrestling. It's not about the wins and losses. It's about what you learn in the process. Seems like he was big on that. Um, and it was just, I just wanted to ask you kind of what you took away from it. The last thing on that, you had mentioned in an interview that he had taught you a, a breathing technique and maybe it's as simple as counting down from 10, but could you share that story and how that teaching came to be? Yeah. Oh, you know, I don't know if I really remember exactly where it came from. Um, I think, you know, as a young athlete, as a young wrestler, I, um, 
I was never, I've never been like the calm Zen monk, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and, you know, dealing, dealing with in my own way, like the pressures that come from a, a wrestling family. And so um, he really worked on like a counting down breath. Um, I believe it was probably like an in, an in count and then counting down from 10. Um, and that, you know, I can't really remember exactly like where, where it came from or like specific example of like when it mm -hmm. came up, but it was probably when I was in high school and helping me through some, some of those moments. And then, um, definitely college as pressures kind of mounted and I was sitting in a number one, number two spot pretty often. Um, that was something I definitely leaned on to, to get through some tougher pressure, more pressure moments. And you mentioned the pressure kind of earlier on your sister, uh, three years older, she took the sport super far. She was incredible. Was there, um, I guess, was that a, something that put pressure on you or um, trying to kind of overcome that mental hurdle of always trying to best your sister or get on the same level as her? You know, it was, it was kind of two different things. It was a little bit of like, I had this um, really clear cut path I could see in front of me and she helped provide that. And so did my dad, right? Like a lot of the steps that were laid in front of me were because they took action. Um, so there was the aspect of like, Hey, I see exactly where I want to go. But then there's also like, yeah, but you have to put the work in. Um, and then I think that, um, you know, having, having my sister do so well on the senior level and international circuit, um, it was more like I put the pressure on myself because I wanted to get there as well. So, um, so whether that was like intrinsically from like a, uh, you know, oh no, a pressure because my family's done things like this or, but you know, most of the time it's the pressure we put on ourselves. So, um, some of it was like a healthy understanding of, of a, like I said, like a path laid out in front of me. And some of it was my own pressures. Um, but, but family wise, like incredibly supportive of whatever choice I need to make. And I had a lot of moments where, you know, even going to college, I was like, do I go to Menlo college? Or do I want to pursue, you know, I had a really strong passion for art. Like, do I pursue kind of this other side of me and then still try and wrestle? And I, you know, in the end chose like, hey, the easiest thing is to be in the school I'm going to actually wrestle at instead of <laughs> commuting. But, um, you know, there were a lot of moments like that and I had a lot of support. So I always felt, you know, enough, you know, enough openness from my family to uh, make a decision that was right for me. You mentioned Half Moon Bay. It's one of my favorite places on earth. I, I, yeah, used, to live in, I used to live in San Francisco and uh, would drive down there. And one of my good friends lives in Half Moon Bay. Now he bought a house there and it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome out there. Mm -hmm. It's a is special that, place. It really is. Is that where they have the, uh, I'm thinking of this the right way, right? The big surf um, every January, February surfers come to town. Yeah, so Mavericks. Mavericks, yes. Yes, and they literally call people in, and they're like, the waves are big enough, come out. And those are like, you get towed into those waves. It's incredible. So I, that's like um, out from the harbor. It's like not in actually in Half Moon Bay. It's in El Granada, which is where I'm from. So I can see where like the land kind of, it's kind of, I don't know, where like the land and the sea meets. I don't know what it's called right now. But like, <laughs> that's where I can see where Mavericks is. I can't actually see it because like the waves are way out there. But from, from my mom's house, I can see it. Yeah, the first time I went and these guys are all East Coast guys who I used to work with. And so they 
you know, they're going to hate me for saying this, but they love, they love watching the surfing and, and throwing on maybe a, a half moon bay vest and just going in and mingling in with the crowds. Right. Yeah. And they told me about it and I was like, how big could the waves be? And then I looked at a video and to your point, it's literally, you're f- way far offshore. You can't even, I mean, it's hard to even see them from the shore. The videos do it more justice, but it's like 40, 50 mm-hmm. foot waves. It's pretty crazy. It's insane. It's insane. And there's a, um, a movie, I'm totally blanking on the name. And it's, I think it's called Maverick maybe. Okay. And you actually see, you know, they, they, they shoot in a lot of different places along the coast side. So it's rare. I think I only saw a few scenes where they're actually at Mavericks, but um, if you want a taste for that, I think the movie's called Mavericks. And- Mavericks. Might yeah. as well. it's, a, it's a cool name, right? Um, yeah, it is a cool name. And so before we go on to the rest of your career, what was it like, you know, family like growing up in, in Half Moon Bay? What's the origin story like for you and how you got into to wrestling, obviously? Um, so my dad was in the Bay Area and always kind of envisioned living on the coast side so he found a house like in in the 70s so like back when it was like dirt roads it was not like the half moon bay most people are kind of like they associate with now um a little different and it's and you know the town is like it's an ag town and uh founded by uh portuguese families and so it's got a lot of that like home very hometown feel and um luckily in that area like my my dad and along with quite a few others had you know developed a really awesome youth program for wrestling and so was able to wrestle when i was pretty young uh, my dad was working on pushing uh, the bay area wrestling association bawa and including girls wrestling events and all of those so it was you know for my sister and i it was days of like hey do you want to wrestle or do you want to just go play and swing on the ropes so we had a lot of those a lot of those moments like leading up until where we actually made decisions to like start practicing. Um, but Half Moon Bay is, a, is actually a pretty incredible and, and supportive wrestling town for how, how little it is and how isolated it is on the coast side. And we've had a, an incredibly strong wrestlers come out. Um, even some wrestlers are still like competing in MMA now. So um, Who's that? A good, you Just know, out good of curiosity. Um, Adam Piccolotti for Bellator. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I had no idea. Yeah. There's definitely been some others that have competed in MMA, but I would say Adam right now and he's, we're the same age. So we graduated together and wrestled on the high school team together. Um, and then same with Menlo, actually, we have a lot of MMA fighters that have come out of Menlo. Uh, Josh Emmett's in the UFC. I don't know if you know that name. I don't know that um, one. And then, yeah, there's, there's others uh, for the women. Um, Ashley Evansmith and Carla Esparza. They're my college teammates. So a lot of those legacies. It's been pretty cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, it was, it's, it's pretty awesome to grow up in that little town. I appreciate a lot more like leaving and coming back like most people do for their hometowns, but. That's a dream plan. I mean, like you said, now it's, it's, uh, you know, about 30 minutes South of San Francisco, it's a little dream community. Um, I can't think of the restaurant that's on as you're driving in, it's on your right on I-5 or, or highway, not I, is it I five? Highway one. Highway, highway one coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just um, a lot of good memories there. But yeah, I, I digress. Um, you mentioned that you, know, you you went to Menlo and then you've progressed up the the senior ladder. One of my favorite stories of you is at 2016 Olympic team trials. It's probably I know it's bittersweet for you just because you know you end up losing to Helen, um, but kind of the way you fought back through the tournament. 
you said was one of the you know fondest memories you have in wrestling. So could you just walk us through that that tournament for you and what memories you have of it? Yeah, um, I think for you know for a lot of athletes and wrestlers, they can really um, attribute you know some moments to like, wow, I really see how my career like culminated to those moments. And um, I would say that's 2016 trials in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the, the buildup had been like a lot of years of injuries moving from college to the training center. Um, in 2012, um, leading up to that Olympic trials, um, my dad was not doing well. I had flown out uh, to be with him. My sister and I had, and we were anticipating kind of saying goodbye at that time. And he ended up passing like later in the summer. So, so from 2012 to 2016, it was like really this defining time of like what, what is wrestling to me? You know, for a long, you know, wrestling for me has been family and, um, you know, any event or whatever, I was like with my family. So all of a sudden I kind of had this shift where my sister had retired in 2012. My dad had passed. Um, you know, I was just, just in kind of a intense time and, you know, in, I'd had a lot of injuries and different surgeries. And so, it was kind of like, what does this mean to me? And I had to really battle through, like, why am I living in Colorado Springs away from family? Do I want to keep doing this? Um, and it took that whole four years to really figure out, you know, what's right for me and things that I had been told or maybe had told myself that, you know, just were not true, right? Like, oh, it's harder for me to wrestle this way because of my length or this and that, you know, just all these things. I had to like really break down those misconceptions. And I had some really key people during those years that I had to kind of lean on and discover like, what is my wrestling family? You know, the wrestling community is so incredible. And so it put me on this path to like learning about the people in wrestling. Cause I finally realized I'm like, okay, you know, my family's not quite as involved in wrestling at that time. And who makes up wrestling? Like the people do. If there was, if it wasn't for the people, we wouldn't have wrestling. Like wrestling mm -hmm. doesn't matter without the people. So I was like, okay, this is, I need to like put myself out there. And so I actually spent a lot of time traveling and, and going to different places uh, to train and just connecting with people. And it was really kind of an incredible shift in my perspective of wrestling. And um, so leading into 2016 Olympic trials, um, I had actually had an injury at the Mongolian Nationals in 2015. So April, or no, no, it was before, like maybe March, March of 2015. Um, I was in the finals of Mongolian Nationals. I, I was having an incredible tournament. Uh, I want to say like the month before I was second at the Paris Grand Prix. Like things were, things were chugging along, right? <laughs> um, and, um, and then in that finals, I actually uh, got had a Lindsfrank fracture, which is basically like you, you tear like the little, in your foot, you tear like the little ligaments in between, um, like the metatarsals, I don't know all the words. Um, so, uh, so basically I would, took a shot and I just dropped, like, and Terry Steiner was like, what happened? And I was like, I don't know what happened. Like I just dropped, it was really weird. So I, I felt it shift, I felt a pop and uh, finished the match, ended up winning. So I was second in Mongolian nationals and then, um, Luckily, I had a trainer there who was like, you, I know exactly what this is. It's probably a lens spring fracture. Most people are not going to know that. So let's go get it. Let's go get it scanned and see where you're at. And that's what it was. And it was like immediate surgery. So then I was out for, for two months. I couldn't walk. And I was like on a scooter 
that was my friend for two months. So I had to really like learn how to walk and run and obviously wrestle again. So once I was able to get back on the mat, I had about six months to prepare for Olympic trials. Mm. And, um, you know, there's, uh, a lot of moments in those six months leading up of like, you know, you're climbing and, you know, just kind of like trying not to ride the train too much, but you know, you know that you have a climb to do. And, um, I, you know, felt like that gave me that, that drive and push to like get myself prepared for Olympic trials. And I, I felt like I wrestled better than I'd ever wrestled before. And it was exciting. And so as bittersweet as it was, and, it, and of course it is, you know, but I, I think that too often as athletes, we're like, we're told we're supposed to achieve this. Right. And that's obviously our goal. And then we're like, we're also told that like, if you don't react a certain way, then you didn't like give it your all. Right. Mm-hmm. But I can say like, no, I'm extremely prepped proud of my performance at that 2016 Olympic trials. Like I did absolutely everything I could to prepare. Uh, wrestling Helen was a, was an incredible experience and I wrestled the body and I didn't wrestle Helen and I had a great match with her. Like Helen was ready to go and she, you know, she showed the world what she was ready to do. And, um, so that was an incredible, all of it's an incredible journey that year. Right. Um, and that battle back, like my last match is a, is a pretty exciting, fun match to see. I'm losing to Michaela Hutchinson, uh, incredible, incredible athlete. And I like the first time I wrestled her was like in middle school and she destroyed me. So it's always been this like, and we're good friends now too, which is awesome. Middle school. Middle school. Yeah. Cadet. I want to say, well, was I in high school or middle school? Cadet. It was a cadet like nationals before we didn't have worlds at that time. Um, that was the first time I wrestled her, but, um, and I, I can't, I think I had beaten her maybe the last time we'd wrestled, but still like, it was just, it was a total battle back. And, um, and it was that that last match was just an example of the entire day. You know, it was, I'm wrestling really well and there's heartbreak, like all the emotions were in there and I had to really bring it together, <laughs> get myself together, not get wrapped into those emotions and then finish the match. And it was, it's really down to the last few seconds. I, I double leg her to her back and it's, it's uh it's an exciting match and luckily um Tony Rotundo was there and took pictures and he and I recently shared I posted some and he shared like how special a moment was for him too because he's like I know you we have a relationship and everyone had like left everybody was gone and Tony stayed and took those photos and so we have some really special moments from that some of my favorite photos man that's there's so many areas I want to dive into um one of which though has been kind of top of mind for me in the last month you mentioned it a few minutes ago, you know, the, uh, the beliefs we have about ourselves, these misconceptions, a lot of times we believe them and God knows how they got there or why they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the process you went through to one identify how that false belief got there or, or even identify that they were there? Cause a lot of people don't even know. They just accept them as reality, but really that's just you making up something that it's not even yeah. true. So how'd you go through that self-discovery process and kind of tease those out? Um, you know, I think journaling is really important. Uh, it's probably, it's heard over and over and over. Uh, so anyone who's not a journaler is probably sick of it, <laughs> but it's super helpful, right? Um, I'm trying to think for, for 2016, you know. Or just during that process, I mean, you, you, 
you had to be going through so many emotions. You know, your sister retired, your father wasn't around, uh, injuries, and you're kind of alone on this journey. So did you go through periods of, of loneliness where you thought about quitting the sport during that time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially right after my dad had passed, I can remember being at like camps at the training center and, you know, whether it was like a break or I just like left during like a live session or maybe I wasn't wrestling or something and just going to the locker room and just crying like what what am I doing here why am I here you know what's what's actually my purpose in being here when it doesn't feel like I'm connected to the sport because my connection has been family right so like what does this mean for me now um you know you know very very luckily I had um my now now husband um, through, through this whole process. And, um, I think, I think at the beginning, it was a lot of teasing it out with him and discussions with him. Like I'm a, I'm a, I talk through situations and whenever something's bothering me, I talk through it. Like, so journaling for me has definitely had to be developed more because I'm like, but I just want to talk about it. I want to talk it out. I want to call my, my sister or my mom or my husband and like talk it out. So, um, but journaling is adding like another layer and I've done it a lot more, um, this, cycle like returning than mm-hmm. before I, I definitely did a lot more before so I I'm sure I could look back on some of my journals and my my entries were like pretty limited I have some entries like right after like 2012 Olympic trials and right after 2016 Olympic trials and some of the you know a lot of them are that mindset of like this is how I felt or this is what's going on and this is how it should change or I'm hurt or you know it's but um you know honestly I I kind of think that I tease some of those out by coming back to wrestling. And one of the biggest ones that I mentioned for me was I always struggled with like um, different positions. And I felt like, oh, well, I can or can't do it because of my length or my size. I think I struggled with that a lot, especially 2012. I had to go up to 55 kilos and I wrestled 51 kilos in college. So I was very small um, and it took a lot to get there. So there were like, there were things like that that had been built into me saying like, well, I'm always small. I'm always smaller. Like I'm always leaner than everyone else. I'm always this, I'm always that. So it was just like recognizing it and then being like, okay, well, how do I address that actually in the wrestling room? And, um, I had, um, I would say one of the most impactful coaches I had was Seiko Yamamoto when she came in and she was an assistant coach and she really helped me like recognize my strengths. And part of it was like a mental fortitude, like, Hey, you don't feel like you can do this. Okay. Just do it. And I'm like, oh, what? She's like, just do it. Just go. I'm like, oh, okay. So like our styles really matched up well. And then she just taught me strength through motion. And that was, I think that was a really incredible transformative moment. And so I've taken like the things I've learned from her and kept developing them. And I would say like, now the teasing out process is a lot of journaling. Like, why do I keep thinking this is here? Why is this here? And then now it's like adding that to meditation like what is going on? What is here? What are, what are the things in the past that have shown up? You know, what kind of things about my family are still sitting in there? Because really like this Olympic journey is about, is about uncovering the layers of yourself as a person. You know, we got, we get really obsessed. And even within the wrestling community, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes too, because we're like, we only want this person on or this or that because they have these kind of, you know, accomplishments right and so then we're reinstating the values that our wrestling community only values you if you're an olympic champion not only olympic champion you got to go win it twice 
and now we'll value, right? Like those things are instilled in athletes. Like we hear them over and over and over. And so there's pieces like that that you have to start uncovering being like, am I just falling for the trap here? Because that's truly what this is. And if anyone watched The Weight of Gold. Oh my God. I think you, I, I, I was just kind of scrolling through Twitter and I saw you post about it. I ended up watching it with my girlfriend. Holy smokes. I didn't even know that was a problem, you know? So I think there's like, I think there's a lot of different pieces there. You know, whether people did or didn't accept the, the help that was available. Because I've worked with a sports psychologist for the whole time that I've been, you know, at the Olympic Training Center. Like, there's people available. So I would say that there's some things that I disagree with. But here's the other piece with that. Everybody on the weight of gold, and there, there's a lot of things I really agree with, especially the financial side. I really related to that. Um, and, um, and honestly, it was like a lot of, a lot of a values issue, right? Like everybody who was on that video were like Olympic champions, Olympic medalists. So we're kind of like, and even Apollo was saying, Hey, you know, the guy who was like in last place is just as good as me. But I'm like, yeah, but Apollo, you are the one on this. Like that guy's not right. So we're, we're reinforcing those things. So I think that we have to, you have to break those, break those barriers down in yourself so that you, it's not holding you back from competing. And it's not holding you back from anything else that you're doing because they like, it will, and it'll like eat oh, yeah. alive. And the other p- part is that every one of those athletes bought into the idea that my life is going to be 10 times better after I win. And it wasn't, it's the same. So, so I think there's a lot of different pieces that you're like, yes, there's realities that they're talking about and it's for real, but like, don't buy into the lies that they also bought into that you're going to be happier because you've won. And Michael Phelps is a perfect example of that. Right. For sure. And, and what I, you know, was alluding to earlier and exactly what you just mentioned is after the Olympics, a lot of people, in fact, they, they insist everyone goes through a post Olympics blue, a post Olympic blues um, but to your point, it's the same thing, like post-Olympic trials, blues, you know, wh- whatever that is for you. Um, but do you think that's pervasive across all athletes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For Why? Sure. I mean, um, your, your whole life is focused on this one thing. And you're putting so much effort into it. You're every day. Like, if you don't have a few other little things that you're adding in, then you can be, like, completely swallowed by this right you're just doing one thing over and over like technically obsessively so you're like always walking the line of how obsessive do i need to be in order to win but also how sane do i need to be to win like you're you're just walking the line all the time and there's some days where you're like whoa i just like dove way over my values went out the window and i thought that everything that mattered was this one practice and then there's times where you're like no i'm 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 seeing that it's not good or bad you know there it, I mean, you know, it, it, I think it sometimes goes back to like, whether as a child you were like influenced that like the only way that you add value is if you win, especially if you start winning really early um, as a young person. And I'm super passionate about the way athlete or the way coaches approach young athletes, like especially in the wrestling world, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on the way we push young kids and the way that we, you know, because there's things that I'm unwinding for myself and I'm like, yeah, I had a pretty, like my family was really supportive and they were like, if you want to quit, quit, right? But yet there's still things inside of me that I'm having to like unwind and untwist so that I can do the things I need to do next a- April and next summer, right? So, um, so the way that we interact with our youth, especially in wrestling, 
where we're teaching them that the only way that you are a valuable wrestler, in my opinion, in the US, we do this a lot, is that you are the toughest person in the room. Like what happens when you're not the toughest kid in the room? Mm-hmm. I don't think I was always the toughest kid in the room. I think if you saw me, you'd be like, that skinny little kid, like, <laughs> <laughs> right? There's so a lot of, I, lot of, I mean, you, you want to talk about a place where there's a lot of problems. It's wrestling parents. I mean, there is a lot of real crazies out there. The one thing that gives me hope though, is that now, um, well, one thing that gives me hope is that people like yourself who were successful athletes, they seem to have it under control when they're coaching their kids. Not all the time, but because they don't have that chip on their shoulder. Many times we don't see the, the craziness that, you know, parents who didn't achieve what they wanted display. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just the, the focus on, and this may be driven from Kale being so dominant as opposed to Gable, but the focus on skill versus conditioning and like grinding someone out, I got to think that's making some kind of impact. And it's a good one in my opinion. I, I, I hope so too. I know Kale is like really private and rather secretive about like his, his techniques and um, I get it. Right. Um, but Just give us time, something, man. Give us I something. Know. Show these kids. Like, show a video of how you say it doesn't matter to win or lose. I mean, I, something like that. You know, I know he's got it in there. Yeah, yeah he, could, he could give a lot without giving anything, right. you know? Like, but it's not always his style, but maybe it will be. Like, we can be patient. Maybe it'll be his style eventually. For and sure. he'll be, like, ready to unlock, you know, his knowledge and give it to all of us, right? But, um, but here's the thing. Like, just through observation, like when you just tune into yourself, like we know, we understand, right? And he's holding that ground and that level of like understanding of, oh, it's a value system. He's like, oh, every time we're starting to creep over to this, like obsessive uh, workhorse craziness, like bring it back here. Like he's doing that to his athletes. Hey, I see you're getting too far. Let's bring it back here. Hey, I see that you like went crazy in that situation. Slow it down. Focus on the technique. Like we know what he's doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we can, we can basically like vibe into like what he's doing and embody it as well. So I, I think that him just being there is giving that wrestling community like a whole new feel and a whole new definition because you're right. Like the, you know, and I, and I even feel like uh, I had a, I have a mentor that I speak with and, and um, he's one of my college wrestling teammates. And um, he was like, I know I feel like Gable, what his, his, career was almost like misinterpreted Mm. like he was working so hard because he respected the sport so much and it has now been watered down to where everyone's like in order to do wrestling you have to be a psycho workhorse you know like I I went to a practice once and these kids were doing sprawls at the end of practice after a long pretty long hard practice and I would say it was like elementary kids through high school and uh they started doing sprawls and I like look at one of the coaches and I'm like, how many are they doing? And they're like, well, last time they did like 200 and something. And I'm like, well, we're at 50 and these look like hot garbage. <laughs> so I'm like, what are we, what are we teaching our kids? Like that the most important thing is to be exhausted and to like kick you out of, to like push you away from wrestling. Cause we know that that's what's happened a lot. Everyone has the story where they're like the first day we ran, you know, 10 miles and half the team quit. What? And the coaches are, uh, oh my God, I love this topic. Max Askren said, wrestling's the only sport where we're proud that we encourage kids not to continue. He's like, it's the most bizarre thing. Like those coaches are patting themselves on the back. Got, I read it out 30, 30 weaklings today because they didn't want to run 200 sprints. It's like, did you want to run those sprints? Right. 
Right. And I see it all the time. Like I'm, so I'm in a position where I train in Denver and I'm training at a lot of different high schools. Um, I get, I get to go up to UNC hopefully when it opens. Why do you go to a lot of different high schools? So, um, you know, uh, our decision for, to leave Colorado Springs basically had nothing to do with wrestling. It was like my husband's job and we knew it just Colorado Springs wasn't fitting his career choice as well. Gotcha. And we kind of needed a change. I think it was the best thing for me. Cause I would have just been like, let me hang around the wrestling room, you know? Um, and I needed to push myself out of my comfort zone. And this was majorly pushing me out of my comfort zone, but we knew family was in order. So it was like, Denver I was like toying with wrestling I was like working at MMA gyms wrestling with a lot of MMA fighters um a lot of because the elevation fight team's here Mm -hmm. uh Neil Magny's out here super nice guy so like that whole group is here um and so so I was just like kind of going anywhere and everywhere and I started seeking out high schools and of course it was like really awkward because I was like I wasn't sure if I was going to still wrestle and I'd just be like, hey, I just want to like come into your high school and I can wrestle with your guys. And I'm just kind of, and they're like, but why? What, what do you want? You know, like that's really what the response I was getting. Like people were skeptical. Um, so then I ended up having shoulder surgery. And then soon after I was pregnant because we knew family was like in the picture for us. So, um, so, and then once I decided to come back, I had to find, like there's no wrestling situation up here, really. Uh, the closest thing is UNC. And I hadn't really, I think when I first started training again, I first like toyed with the idea of like, I want to wrestle. Like it was just high schools. Like, Hey, what's the local high school doing? Who are the partners? Who's around? And so now I've developed relationships with these high schools, with the high schoolers, with the parents. So a lot of my partners are high school boys. Um, I've been really fortunate and lucky. And I would say majority of them have been top three in the state, which is awesome. Um, and uh, they've been really, they've been incredible. I don't even know how we got on this. Well, I asked, so you had mentioned that you were going to high schools. And in my mind, this is how little I know about Colorado. I'm like, oh, you live in Denver, but you just drive to the OTC. But it must be not even close to that. So it's an hour um, 15. That's pretty fun. So I'll go down for camps. And um, right now I have been like training with the group, doing the testing thing, all that stuff. We don't have to get into COVID, but. <laughs> no problem. No, no, no problem. Uh, so Troy Nickerson yeah. though is out there. Right. And that's, I'm excited yeah. about that. Cause, yes. um, he, you know, was, was incredible back when, when he was coming mm-hmm. up through Cornell mm-hmm. and are you on, are you an RTC athlete? Talk to us about that. How did yeah. that all start? Yeah. So that was kind of part of that, um, that adventure. Um, and I had been starting to seek people out and locations. Um, I was like doing high school girl. I was, I had my business Lucha Fit and I was going to high school girls tournaments around Colorado. And I met Craig Johnson, who's out here. He's been a coach for Broomfield. He's in the area. And he also knew Troy. And I, I knew Troy from the training center. Like we wrestled there at the same time. And I was like, oh yeah, Troy Nickerson's up there. Okay. So we like started, he was like, you should go up there. And it took a little bit of time. Cause it was just like a lot of transition for me. Like, uh, new baby. How, do I bring my kid to UNC? Like all these different pieces. So it wasn't until right after U.S. Nationals last year, April, that Troy and I were like, okay, I think we can, let's make this work. I'm like, I think I can, I can kind of handle this now. So then we put together a contract. So I was their first, um, first and still kind of their only um, regional training center athlete. I love it. I think it's yeah. so cool. And he, you know, Colorado's a state where it's, you know, it's a strong high school wrestling state and, you know, there, there's a lot of kids wrestling out there. And so is, is Northern Colorado 
Is that what it is, Northern Colorado? The yes. School? Is that the only D1 school in Colorado? Is it even D1? Yes, D1. It is D1, okay. Um, it's got to be like one of only a few. So Colorado Mesa, but I don't think they're D1. Probably not. And then Pueblo has a team. Who else has a team? Uh, a school of the Mines and Air Force. Air Force is D1. And I'm okay. not very good on – yeah, Air Force is D1 because so, they duel with them. Mines, I'm not really sure as like a private school how they fit in or if they're, if they're NAIA. Maybe D3. Not sure. Or D3. But, I mean, this is the point. It's like how crazy is this that there's no – you know, like University of Colorado, no. Colorado State, I know. no. Um, I know. Boulder. So I'm like 25 minutes from Boulder. Like – That'd be so, sweet. But yeah, so there was just no options available for me to like just have a home base and wrestle at. So I just, my home base is kind of everywhere. And because um, even, even UNC is about 50 minutes from me. So mm. I make it work and I get there because, you know, the coaches are incredible. And so I've developed a relationship with them as well. So, um, you know, I just honestly just have figured it out. I've just figured it out. It's been kind of wild, but yeah. So are you full on 2021 all in right now? And Absolutely. Love yep. it. What's a day in the life look like for a, a mom slash senior level professional athlete? Um, I mean, at the beginning, it used to look like me bringing Eli everywhere, sitting him in, in like a little bumbo seat and um, wrestling. And I'd like check back on him. Like, is he still there? <laughs> so that was how it went in the beginning. And I was really fortunate because I was going in through the MMA seen and finding some wrestling through there there's women so i you know found women to to wrestle with um and then wrestle with a lot of guys and luckily like when you know jujitsu like you kind of know how to like roll and move so it was i was like okay this works pretty well even though they're like not as experienced wrestling right um and then i met um kat paprocki who's a fighter a local fighter um in colorado and she's like you should come over to my gym and her gym's actually less than 10 minutes from my house and from there with her and her husband we're like let's make this work so I finally had a home base somewhere I can go lift there's mats I could bring in partners like she's my training partner as well and we can run and so so when that kind of came together then I was like able to even you know like relax I could bring Eli every for the longest time I brought him every day and he would like nap in their office in a in a stroller like that was what life was like at the beginning just doing as best as I could to kind of make it all work. And then we did the daycare thing. So now daycare is a lifesaver. And <laughs> for sure. And now it's, you know, it's, you know, trying to make everything work right now is definitely unique. Um, but we have a mat in our basement now and I have a lot of ability to work out here. So that's good. So Pap Rocky, I saw in an interview that you had said Steve Pap Rocky was a big mm -hmm. influence for you. And I'm like, who the heck is that? Um, but that must yeah. be the tie into that story there. So that's, that's Kat's husband. Um, so he's like the, their fight team coach. And um, so he like, it's just been awesome learning from them and really, you know, some of those things that we talked about at the beginning, like what are these misconceptions that I am thinking about and to have a perspective outside of wrestling was really important was mm -hmm. just to have somebody who was like, no, like you're a badass, just go, you know? And you're like, this is cool. This is like, it's a different <laughs> They're very close and they intertwine really, really well, but they're also very different. And everyone comes from different places, I would say, in, in MMA, unless you have a wrestling background. So I would say my move to Denver turned into like mind opening and learning new things and, and realizing 
where we kind of have some downfalls in the wrestling community and where I'm like, nah, we can be better. This is great. Like I'm learning from new people. And that's been, that's been like the most incredible experience. And then tying that all in, like my husband is now a huge part of my, my wrestling and he's coached me in the corner a lot. And uh, now it's like, Wow. Every day is like, hey, did you see this match? Hey, you want to watch this? Hey, you want to do this? Like, so is he a wrestling guy? Yeah, so he wrestled at Menlo. Okay. And that's how we met. Um, and um, really, like those first few years, like when we lived at the training center or off complex, but at the training center, I was like, that's it. I don't want to talk wrestling when we're home. Like nothing. So, so now the return has been like full family, full family involvement, and that's really cool. Seems like a rejuvenation almost for you you know, oh, like yeah. a rebirth of, of love for wrestling or just perspective on wrestling? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself at the beginning to, to do well or to do this, or uh, it only matters if I reach these kinds of things. And then, you know, the rebirth has been like, something called me back to wrestling. Hmm. And I just missed the feel of wrestling and something, you know, that pull was really, really strong. And right now I can be like, yeah, this makes sense. This 100% makes sense because I've shifted and changed as a person, like 180. And my perspective of what wrestling means to like me, to others, like how I want to actually connect with the world, like that's what this return has given me. And I mean, there's nothing like wrestling to like break yourself down, build yourself up, right? I mean, that's, that's what this is. Like, I can't even say right now, like, I don't know what's going to happen in a few months, tomorrow, whatever, right? Like, and, and with wrestling, I'm having to focus on each moment and it's hard. It's so yeah. hard. It's so I mean, hard. September, <laughs> September through next April. That's, that's a lot of ground to cover. And, you know, yeah. whenever you think it's going well, where you have a couple of good weeks, you think that obstacles are no longer going to come, then they come. And at first you're kind of shocked and resistant to them. And you're like, oh yeah, this is always going to be there. And if you're not getting yeah. that, you're not going to be making any progress. So it's always a, it's always there to remind you. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because I literally had a conversation with my sports psychologist about that yesterday, and I was like, I fell into the trap. <laughs> That's the trap. I was like, I am in such a good mindset. Like my husband and I have been really working diligently, watching video, all these things. Like we took the time. Like everything slowed down, so we're like, we're slowing it down. Like forget cardio, forget all that. Right. <laughs> like let's work on the wrestling and that's really changed things a lot for me. Um, and for me, it's been like an opportunity to like slow it down, work on me, work on like the spiritual side, all these really incredible pieces that sometimes you just let go. But I was definitely in that like, yeah, but I'm on the up and up and up and up. And then I had some practices where I was like, what happened? And so I told, I was telling my sports psychologist yesterday, I was like, I fell into that trap. I was like, this is me forever. And it, you know, it wasn't. So now I'm like, Hey, let's remind ourselves that the neutral path is find that neutral path. <laughs> right. that's, it's not good or bad. It's not good or bad. And like, we're obsessed as humans. That's our thing. This is good. This is bad. This is what this means. This is not what this means. Right. And if I can approach each practice where I'm like, Oh, my single didn't work. It's not good or bad. Let's just like fix it. You know, something that, um, Tervel had said in an interview, uh, it was like a recent thing, I want to say, like within the last year, I think it was on Flow maybe. And he was talking about like the importance of accepting where you are. And I was like, oh, 
you know, like when you really, and I was in a moment where that really was impactful because he was like, you have to just accept that where you are, like if today was, you kind of sucked, like that's, you have, that's the whole idea of that is like, put your ego down, like Mm -hmm. recognize that it's there and put it down and be like, I did not get the job done. It's not good or bad. It's just like, how do I move forward? That's what my dad was talking about, right? That's what he wanted to do all the time. It's not good or bad. Just like move forward. And, and you know, you resist. It's all, you know, oh, that resistance is strong, but that's really just a radio station. So like, can you come back and just make a choice to move forward? And that's something I'm just really working on embodying because my dad was really incredible at that. <laughs> That's some people where they have that. It's, it's no wonder he was a two-time Olympian. That's a, that's just a rare type of mental capacity to, to be, you know, to, when, when you say it's not good or bad, it kind of reminds me of a saying where it's like, you want to have like irrelevance for things like, all right, if this deal doesn't close, no big deal. Or if this, I don't win this match, it is what it is. Right. And mm-hmm. Max Holloway does that. He's like known for saying it is what it is, but I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's saying, how can you have passion for something, but then say it doesn't matter, you know? So it's like too passionate about it. Um, and that puts, puts value on the good or the bad. And that, that's where it's, it's such a fine balance. Yeah, no, it totally is. The values have to be in like, yeah, but I got out what I needed from this. The value wasn't like, didn't come from winning because it really doesn't change anything. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't. No. And I'm so glad that you're on boards like um, Russell Like a Girl and that you started this company. So you have a couple of platforms now and you mention it. Is it Lucha Fit? Lucha Fit. Mm-hmm. Lucha Fit. Yeah. Like La Lucha. La Lu- okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the six feet apart? Is that your podcast or what is, I saw that on the site. I was just curious what that yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Lucha Fit was really born out of my blogs. My sister and I had full bound wrestling. And um, it was our attempt at like broadening women's wrestling. What does it look like? Like, honestly, all the platforms that are available now would have made it so much easier, but we were like doing YouTube videos. We were just trying to find ways to drum up like sponsorship and awareness for women's wrestling. After 2016, I was like, okay, I was, you know, toying with the nine to five idea. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't even know. Um, Nine to five, crazy. I know, crazy. So, um, So I turned Lucha Fit into... Uh, or sorry, I turned full balance wrestling into Lucha Fit. And I was like, I'm just going to start writing about my experiences and all these things. Like there's no, there's no platform, especially for girls, right? But not a lot of wrestling platforms that just like talk about wrestling and strategies and technique. And so it's like, especially a lot of those beginning articles, it's just like me playing with different ideas and the ideas just like kept rolling. So, um, so yeah, so it's an educational platform. Um, eventually, it'll be a whole lot more, which I'm excited to dive into in a year. So right now, it's uh, hibernating. And um, <laughs> so, but during this time, I really wanted to have a project, something to do. I felt like I wanted to put something out there and produce something. And so, um, so I started Grade Six Feet Apart. It was inspired by the Players Tribune because they were doing like, what does an athlete's life look like right now? So I was like, what does the wrestling community look like right now? So, um, so yeah, it's a series of articles. There's some really incredible, I mean, they're all really incredible, really unique stories. Um, Justin Hawks is really interesting. Sandra Moon, who started um, the Harvard Women's Wrestling Club. Like, what? That exists? Let's Seriously? That's I know. incredible. Isn't that so cool? Um, What's Helen, her name? Uh, Sandra Moon. 
Sandra Moon, I'm coming for you. You're getting on the show. Yes. That's pretty incredible. Get her on the show. She's so incredible. Um, and she's Heart- an incredible human being. Wow. Incredible. How do like, they- she told me her hobbies and I was like, what? You're going to code? <laughs> she was like, my summer project is to have a coding, like a coding project done. I'm learning it from the beginning. <laughs> So Harvard. Oh my God. And it's L-U-C-H-A-F-I-T.com? Yes. Yes. Luchafit.com. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Because, I mean, to your point, it sounds really simple, but simple in the sense that have a place to go for articles and, and technique videos. And, of course, there's flow, and they're awesome, and there's, there's mm-hmm. other people. But, um, yeah, I, I just thought it was a, a great idea, and I'm excited to see it grow over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I, uh, I, I want to wrap this up. And not every podcast do we ask how did wrestling change your life because it can get a little cliche, but I'd love to ask you just because it has been your life through your family and your husband and you know, just so many different uh, parts throughout your journey. So what, what have you taken away from it um, just from 2016 to now? And like, what, what gets you excited about wrestling moving forward? Hmm. Um, so, I mean, we talked about so many different ways that wrestling has changed my life to begin with. Right. Um, so it's going to be tough to recap, but you know, wrestling continues over and over to give me the opportunity to evolve myself. And it's because the sport presents so many challenges, right. That, you know, you have to uncover, but um, it's giving me a a way to relate to myself and a way to relate to the world and a way to say, Hey, this is how I want to conduct myself in business. Like I have to keep redefining my values over and over because wrestling puts that challenge in front of you. Um, but I think one of the most exciting things is, is evolving the sport and we are on such an incredible, we are in an incredible moment for our sport because we have so many people that are passionate about it. And now I'm, you know, in a place where I'm developing my voice through wrestling and I get to share that with, you know, people like you and, um, the, the, the hard sides of wrestling, like the physical hard side of wrestling is just the challenge. This challenge is one of my values. And that's just something that I would always choose. Mm. So, you know, there's something else intrinsically, uh, you know, maybe quite not available to like describe about wrestling. That is the reason we all keep coming back. And, um, you know, it called me back. When you've Wrestling done a changing my life, <laughs> as you said, you alluded to it throughout this conversation um, and capped it off very nicely there. So I really appreciate your time and uh, for this awesome conversation. I got a lot from it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Ryan. For sure. Take care. You too. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text Wrestle to 555-888. That's Wrestle to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.